Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Ontario government has given the teachers everything that they have asked for except their raise. If it's all about the kids, shouldn't they be back in class? Also, the Bank of Canada has decided to follow the U.S. and has lowered interest rates. And the latest poll says Trudeau's approval ratings are tumbling due to his handling of the rail blockages and pipeline issues. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, yesterday the government announced that they have changed their stance on issues uh, in regard to the classroom. As I mentioned, um, walking back the, uh, the class sizes and the e-learning. Uh, I'd, I'd like to play a clip of uh, the OSSTF president, Harry Bischoff. Uh, he was with Bill Kelly this morning and talking about how this came as a surprise. I'm not sure they had anything to say as far as a resolution. What we haven't gotten is a proposal on the bargaining table. We have the minister once again, you know, engaging in kind of disruptive political optics. We were actually in exploratory discussions with his representatives yesterday when I heard through the media that he was going to have this uh, this press conference, which, of course, interfered with the talks that we were having. What he needs to do is bring written proposals to the bargaining table, and that'll give us the, uh, you know, the chance to move things forward. All right, let's bring in Sam Ustaroff, MPP Niagara West, and, of course, uh, assistant in all of this uh, to Minister of Education uh, Lecce. Sam is on the line with us now. Sam, thank you for taking the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. So what are your thoughts? I'm sure you heard the clip that we just played of uh, of uh, Mr. Bischoff and what he said that, uh, that, you know, they had heard nothing of this. They were in the bargaining room when this came out over the media. Is there a better way to commute all of, uh, communicate all of this? What's he talking about? Well, first of all, Scott, what the minister announced yesterday is a fair deal for students, parents, and workers in the classroom. What we announced uh, is a funded average class size in secondary schools of 23 students a classroom, effectively freezing what right now is 22.9. So we've moved significantly on that issue. We've moved on class sizes. Uh, giving parents the ability to opt their children out of these courses, uh, which we believe are important for uh, learning in the 21st century and and obtaining digital literacy skills. Uh, We've replaced uh, the local priorities fund with the support for students fund with 100% funding for $140 million worth of special education funds. Uh, And we've shown that we're making significant moves. But what we haven't seen from union leadership is any reciprocal action. For over 300 days, we've been bargaining, uh, and we've made these offers also at the table. Uh, so so respectfully to Mr. Bischoff, you know, we have tabled these offers um, to union leadership. Uh, we haven't seen movement in response. And for over 300 days, parents and students have been paying the price of union-led escalation. So we're holding the line on 1% on wages and benefits. We're standing strong in defense of merit, not union story, in the hiring of new educators. But we need to see responsible action in response to our moves at the table. Uh, they said that they were completely blindsided uh, by this and the, that this wasn't brought up at the table. Uh, we're hearing two completely opposite stories here. That's that's not accurate. We've had conversations uh, to varying extents with the unions 
Uh, of course, there are four different unions uh, who have various different issues. For example, with uh, Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, a major issue was the uh, with the full day kindergarten. We've committed in writing very clearly uh, to that full day kindergarten model. Uh, the union leadership wants to talk semantics about how this is written out, what kind of paper, or what <laughs> what size the font is. It seems to be our commitment has been very clear, uh, whether that's at the table or or uh, speaking publicly. That you know we are making moves to get a deal because we believe students shouldn't be kept out of the classroom. We believe uh, teachers want to be in the classroom and parents deserve that predictability. But unless the other side makes act, uh, makes movement, it's very, very difficult to come to a place where we can come to a resolution. So it takes two to tango. We put the ball in their court and we want to see them reciprocate. So uh, you say, Sam, that you have made a formal presentation to them because they say that none of this is in writing. None of this has been put forward to them. They don't know what the hell you're talking about, it sort of sounds like. Well, uh, and I don't want to speak to all the conversations that happened at all the tables. I, I don't want to bargain in media and respect that process. But I know that there were offers made as far back as February 24th uh, with OECTA, for example, around this uh, the proposition that came forward yesterday, maintaining class sizes at, at essentially. Do we lose Sam? Oh, man, we've lost Sam. Get him back. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm fascinated by all of this because at the end of the day, and you know, uh, we we got word of this late yesterday afternoon what was happening here, and that uh, that uh, it appeared that the government had given the unions what it had asked for. I mean, we had we've always heard that the sticking point here was uh, the class sizes and uh, e-learning. Because some don't like computers, eh? So they've given the opportunity for students to opt out and parents to opt out. Um, and they've reduced the, uh, the, the, the class sizes. So this should be a done deal. And, you know, who cares what's presented where? where you know, I'm tired of this labor union dance. All right, Sam's back. All right. Let me try one more. Hang on. Sam, you there? Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, sorry, Sam. Uh, so, uh, we're, by the way, we're talking to Sam Oosteroff, MPP Niagara West. So this has been presented to them in writing? So, like I was saying, uh, there's been different conversations going on with the various union leadership. Uh, some conversations with the Elementary Teachers Federation around, of course, full-day kindergarten. We've committed to maintaining that. Uh, I know that the prop proposals that were brought forward yesterday from the minister have been tabled, for example, with uh, OECTA as early as February 24th. So we have made significant uh, conversations as well. But again, I don't want to bargain in the media. Right. It's, it's important to recognize how much of that is kept at the table. But I know that ongoing conversations had occurred. And uh, we want to see a resolution that uh, you know keeps kids in class. So this was a sticking point, class sizes and e-learning. Once I heard this, should this not be a slam dunk now? Uh, I, I would agree. I, I think it's very important that uh, uh, the union now comes back and recognizes that we've moved significantly on the issues that they expressed, uh, that, they, that they said were sticking points. Uh, we've, of course, held the line on compensation because we believe it's important to put the funds that, uh, that are given to us by the taxpayers into the classroom, supporting students through things such as the Support for Students Fund, which funds educational assistance and other uh, workers through special education supports. Uh, but if, if uh, we don't see this type of 
response, you know, is very disconcerting to parents who deserve predictability about their children's school year. Uh, one other thing, Sam, before I let you go, I know you're busy here. Uh, I've had some email from listeners saying, hey, what the heck is going on? Finally, we get a government that's standing up to these uh, powerful teachers' unions, and now they're backing down. Now, you still kept the the, uh, the compensation at the same 1%, but even uh, changing the class size and the e-learning. What do you have to those to what do you have to say to those that were behind this wanted this well listen uh we have uh, successfully through uh looking at things like uh, keeping the compensation holding the line at one percent as well as with benefits which unions some were asking as high as six or seven percent benefit increases uh we have shown that we can uh put those additional resources into the classroom where they belong instead of just increasing compensation and wage growth but we're also holding the line when it comes to making sure that we're hiring teachers based on merit, not on seniority. Uh, Regulation 274 is something the unions want to defend, but we believe uh, prevents having the best teacher possible in the classroom when, when we see that teachers are hired solely on seniority, not on qualifications or on merit. Uh, I got lots to say about that as a parent too, but we'll save that for another time. Sam Oosterhoff has been with us, MPP Niagara West. Sam, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck with all this. It is 12.20. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll talk to Travis Danraj from uh, Queen's Park, get his take on what is going down there. It seems to me that the union has been blindsided here. They're back on their heels. They've been given everything they want, and now they do not know how to respond. Uh, and again, I, I think uh, uh, the unions have found their match, have, made, have met their match in Stephen Lecce. And at the end of the day, the government said this was about keeping the money in the classrooms and not in the teachers' or unions' pockets, and that's exactly what we have here. All right, let's go to Travis uh, Danraj. He is at our Queen's Park Bureau Chief and with us now. Travis, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, what has been the response from the teachers' unions on this? It has always been about class size and, and e-learning. That's been walked back. Why do we not have a solution? So, well, I, I mean, yesterday, uh, this is what Harvey Bischoff said. He said that the, the press conference by Minister Stephen Lecce was a hand grenade, that he was not aware that uh, this proposal would be made and that it was simply nothing more than a press conference and he wants to see this in writing. I was just in, and this is why I was a little delayed getting to the show, I was just in a scrum with the minister, uh, and, and he said, listen, the, the unions knew about this deal, uh, whether or not that was in formal writing or not, they, they did know about this, and he actually had a prop with him. He had a, a letter that they sent to the Catholic teachers on the 24th of February saying that uh, they were going to roll back on class sizes and also on mandatory e-learning. So he is saying right now firmly that the ball is in the union court. The union says that they want to see some of the finer details on this and that there's a, a long way to go before they reach a deal. But uh, Stephen Lecce says all that's left on the table right now is raises, compensation, benefits, and also hiring practices. All right, Travis Danraj has been with us, Queens Park Bureau Chief. Travis, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's bring in Marvin Ryder, a business professor at the Group School of Business, uh, McMaster University. All kinds of things to talk about with Marvin today, including uh, where we are with the, the teacher strikes and Bank of Canada cutting its uh, key interest rate. More on that. Marvin is with us now. Marvin, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Glad to be here. Give me your challenges. I'll try to give you answers. All right. Sounds good. I love that about you. You know, where else can we come in? We can knock on the side 
give a, a knock on a professor's door and say, hey, can you answer us some questions? That's why I love this job. Uh, Marvin, talk to us about the uh, teachers union strikes and what yep. you've thought or what you th- think about what has happened recently in regard to this offer that has come up in the last 24 hours. It was always about uh, class size and e-learning. It appears that the government has walked that back to the current sa- uh, standards and then, of course, uh, e-learning option, uh, an option to opt out of it. Uh, leaving on the table the 1% raise, uh, they were asking for a 2 If it's all about the kids, should this not be signed by now? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not quite that fast, Scott, but let, let me just roll you back a little bit. You know, Doug Ford came into office and he, and he certainly had a strong agenda. And what I have been interested in, and I actually have to give Doug Ford credit, he has tried different things. And when we as a society push back, he does tend to listen. Now, yep. it does take him a little while but he does tend to listen and so he changes his tune and this is a great example uh, the uh, the position of the government around class sizes around e-learning was considered absolutely sacred not negotiable at all the teachers have now for the better part of 3 months uh, put up a very strong front and they have chipped away chipped away and chipped away and finally yesterday the the minister and thus the government uh, backed down on those things um, stayed firm on the idea of a 1% raise for people, but back down on the class sizes, and as you point out, back down on e-learning in the sense that they want to make it available to the students, but it will be optional, it will be up to the child and their parents as to whether they'll take advantage of some of this. That is you know, um, an amazing amount of movement by a government that said it wasn't prepared to move at all. Now, to your question, why don't we have this deal, um, I think if the minister made a mistake, and I don't want to say that he did, but it, it appears that he's trying to negotiate in the court of public opinion. Uh, normally, when you get to this critical point in a negotiation, you go behind closed doors and you yell and you scream at each other, and then once you've got it all worked out, you come out, you share those results, and you explain how people's positions have moved. Instead, he went to the court of public opinion yesterday, did this big press conference, I don't know if I can say I was lucky enough, but I certainly listened to a big chunk of that press conference yesterday, and I thought it was quite amazing. The reporters covering it didn't quite know what to make of it. It caught them quite by surprise. I'm sure they thought there was some hook in the details, and I imagine even the unions today are looking at the press conference and saying, this sounds a little too good to be true. So here's the bottom line. Everyone put on your big boy pants. Stop complaining to people. Get behind those doors and finish this off. Uh, I realize it's too late now to call off the teachers' actions at Queen's Park for tomorrow, so we'll still see that. But conceivably, we could have a deal by the weekend if people would stop the posturing and just get back to the table. Amen to that. Um, I think this was the plan all along, Marvin. Uh, Their idea was, meaning the government's, was to put the money into the classroom and the kids and not into the teachers or uh, the union's pockets. And that is exactly what we have. They've reduced the class size. They've taken away e-learning. They're not budging on the 1%. This has always been sold about, It's and has been for decades, it's all about the kids. It's not about... Uh, the compensation. It's about e-learning and class size. It's not about the 1%. And really, what choice do the unions have but not to take this? This is a win-win, is it not? Well, certainly, if I was the union and I was agreeing to more or less the framework put on the table, I could claim a lot of moral victories here. Going back to your initial statement, that is about the kids. We have we have moved, the government has moved significantly 
in the favor of kids, in the favor of education, in the favor of class sizes, if they stay out and say, well, we still want to talk about that compensation and we really want one and a half or two percent, now it becomes about the compensation and there'll be a lot of people saying, ha ha, we knew all along that was your real motive. I really don't think it is, though. Uh, if you go back to um, early October, this is before the federal election, this government settled with the, some of the support staff at the, at the, at the schools and the support staff settled for 1%, and they gave up some other demands, but they got their 1%. This is the the baseline for this government. No reason to think why teachers should get any more than some of the other people are getting through all of this. And in exchange for staying to that 1%, look at what they're getting on the other side. I really think this is the framework of a deal, and I think... Ultimately, uh, some of these unions will sign on. Now, here's the trick. There are four unions that are out at this moment. The government needs to get talking to one of them. I don't care which one you want to start with, the secondary schools, the elementary schools, the Catholic teachers, but I think once one domino falls, the other will fall in right behind it. And, and that's why I'm saying I think we could get a lot of labor peace by this weekend if we can just get them back at the table. Uh, so do you see this? I, I can't see this how, how, you know, and I got, obviously the devil is in the details here, but how is it not a win-win for both sides? Well, the bottom line for the teachers was this is a, this is not a proposal in writing that was given to the teachers yesterday. This was a press conference held, uh, by the minister, very little written material submitted at that press conference. So clearly, you know what? At the end of the day, Marvin, I honestly think everybody at this point thinks, "Who cares? We are <laughs> tired of this crap." And at the end of the day, it's not the coronavirus. It's not a pipeline blockade. It's an employment contract. Right, and that, and I agree with you from the public standpoint. But from the negotiating standpoint, you've got to have a piece of paper in front of you. You've got to have a proposal. So I'd like to think. The, the government put their press conference deal into some paper and has been putting it on the table today, and then you go through the table. Because, again, forgive me, but if I'm the union, it almost sounds a little too good to be true. I just want to double-check those details that we're not all agreeing to something where there's a sudden hidden snare or Trojan horse or something. But if it is what the minister said it was, and you had Mr. Oosterhoff on just a few moments ago, and I'm sure he reiterated that, no, there aren't any hidden traps in any of this, uh, that's why I think once they see it in writing, but until they see it in writing, uh, I would never agree. I would never agree. It'd be as if you were negotiating your contract. Well, nobody's, nobody's saying anybody has to agree here in the media or any of that. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, as you said, we don't care about this stuff. We just want it done. Yeah. Uh, but at the end, you know, I mean, that's just all part of the formalities. But it, it seems that at this point... Uh, that that Lecce has matched the union. I mean, the yeah. unions have been incredibly crafty and, and and done some really incredible negotiating over the years, and I think they met their match here. Is that inaccurate, Marvin? Oh, I, I, I would actually probably disagree that they met their match. Uh, certainly, I think they've proven once again how, how skilled they are at this. Uh, Mr. Lecce has changed his tune, mostly because of the court of public opinion. I think, he but as thought, you said, that's a good thing. And then again, they yeah. wanted any money kept in the classroom and not going to contracts, and that's what they've done. Right, 
Right. So uh, this is why I'm saying I think the teachers will come in very quickly. This is everything they said they wanted, and it really is a blow, another blow to the Doug Ford government about how they were going to change everything. And we're back to where we were even under the liberals, that it's very hard to make change. The unions are proving that they've got a lot, a lot of power there, and I think the conservatives were shocked at that. Uh, That being said, change at the classroom level, but certainly control of union wages and, and increases. Well, yes, but there's always been some of that all along. You know, you can't ask for for something that's out of context with other public sector employees. And given this is the tune of the government, they're saying we've got to get these deficits under control. So, you know, even though inflation's running around 1.3, 1.4%, come on, people, just settle for one. It'll help us a little bit. And I, I think this is what they're saying to healthcare workers. This is what we're saying to teachers, but we're saying to university people and colleges and everyone else in the province. I don't think that's such a hard pill to swallow. It would have been a hard pill to swallow if at the same time I've got to see these class sizes go up. But I think what the government has done is they have responded. They've given the teachers exactly what they want. I'm going to tell you that I think some of these teachers' unions are going to cave in very quickly here. Will government get blowback from this? I've already received some email that people are upset that uh, the government didn't hold its ground. Your thoughts? (laughs) Well, blowback... Uh, this is much like the blockades. I mean, we we want everything. Don't we want a perfect world? Hold your line against the teachers. Teach them a lesson, but keep them in school and don't let the kids go. We can't have it all. And and I think these strikes really are wearing and grinding us down. Uh, I've talked to a lot of parents who can't even keep track what days their kids are going to school, which days they're on strike, which strike it is. I've got a kid in the elementary school system. I've got another kid in the secondary school system. Uh, I don't know where I am. And, And the public I think are tired of all of this and so even though maybe they've lost a bit of a moral victory against the teachers unions I think people are saying enough it's a bit like if a municipality uh, wants to hold the line against garbage collectors yeah. and the first week of a garbage strike everything's <laughs> fine but as the stink grows and the other things grow the need to settle goes up dramatically. All right, let's move on to uh, interest rates. Uh, we saw this happen in the United States yesterday where they cut their interest rates, uh, seeing the same thing happen, or Bank of Canada is seeing the same thing, interest rate here, I shouldn't say rates. Uh, we saw Canada uh, do the same thing. How do you explain it and the size of the cut as well? Surprised by yeah. a half a point? Well, let me, yes, it is. So let me just take you back to yesterday morning, Tuesday morning, the finance ministers from the G7 nations and the central bankers from those seven nations held a conference call. And initially yesterday, the markets went up in anticipation of the conference call. Conference call ended, and I think what the market thought was that the seven ministers were going to come out and say, in unison, we're all going to lower our interest rates. And instead, the conference call ended, and there was no deal like that on the table. So then the market fell. So then the U.S. Federal Reserve Board felt they really needed to send a signal of ground support, so they had an emergency rate cut. They were supposed to review their rates on March 18th, two weeks today, but two weeks ahead of time, they cut their rate by 50 basis points or half a percent. And initially, that lifted the markets. Canada had always planned to make an announcement today, and Canada said, well, I don't really feel the need to do it 24 hours earlier. We'll, we'll do it on our own time. But yesterday, if you looked at the trading, there was almost three or four different sessions, rises and falls, rises and falls, because the market was torn. On one hand, they really appreciated the support, making money cheaper and improving liquidity. But then on the other hand, by God, it was an emergency thing. Maybe, maybe the economic situation is worse than we imagined. So one moment it's worse, the market goes down. The next moment it's good, the market comes up. 
Today, Don's the Bank of Canada made his announcement. I was expecting, uh, as recently as Monday, to be a quarter of a percent cut. Stephen Polos, the governor of the Bank of Canada, really seemed to love movements of a quarter of a point. But today, he announced a half a point, uh, in part because it matches what the Americans are doing, but in part because he wanted to send a strong signal that the Bank of Canada is ready to do what it can to mitigate economic damage from the coronavirus. And to, so far today, the markets have been relatively calm and, and relatively up. Now, I don't think the U.S. market is going up because of anything the Bank of Canada said, but certainly if you look at the Toronto Stock Exchange, we're up about 200 points, and it's been a fairly flat kind of a trading day, meaning that everyone thinks this is a good idea. And I will tell you, over the next week or so, I would expect to hear the Central Bank of England, the Central Bank of France, probably something from the Bank of Japan. And they, they, but they won't do it all at the same time, but they'll all make these kind of announcements, and that should, with a little luck, stabilize those stock markets. Uh, again, as you mentioned, the U.S. does something uh, many times we follow, um, but I was surprised at the half-point jump. Does that, does that display just how, how, how challenging this problem, economic problem, has become? Well, one of the things about recessions, it's a bit like momentum. Once things start to roll downhill, it's awfully hard to stop that snowball and get it going in the right direction again. And so the concern with coronavirus is that the best way we can treat it is to quarantine everything. So in the case of China, we close the border, we stop flying planes, we stop boats, we shut down movie theaters, malls, we sent people home from work. And by the way, all of this seems to be paying dividends in China. The number of new cases and the number of deaths are dramatically declining. We are, it appears at least in China, getting a lid on this. The problem now is in places like Iran and Italy and South Korea, their cases are shooting up dramatically. So nobody can tell you, or or I can't tell you, how long we're going to have to deal with the effects of coronavirus. Thus, the longer it goes, the more likely we are to self-create our own recession, the fears, what have you, driving the market. And I think this is why you needed a strong statement in the market, a half a point. That really says, wait a minute, we're taking this really seriously we're standing here to, to fight this any way we can, and, and hopefully that will be enough to bring a little confidence back to the market. So what does this mean for the average Canadian, this rate cut? Well, there is a concern. Of course, if you make money cheaper to borrow, suddenly we'll stock up on even more debt, and the average Canadian is carrying a lot of debt load as it is. But I don't think this is a permanent change to the rate structure. I think this will last for three months, four months, six months, and then we'll go back to where we were before. So I'm not really worried about individual stocking up. Really, the rate cut is designed for the business sector to give them some of the liquidity they need to weather this storm. You know, uh, you've heard stories about shipments of farm products not being able to go to China because we've, we've shut down those markets. We, you know, you just can't even land a boat there. So to help a farmer, look, here's some cheaper money. It'll allow you to get through this until we can get to the other side and get things flowing again. And by the way, specifically in Canada, this is also meant to address the blockades. CN was shut down for three weeks. Now, the good news is today they've announced they're bringing back all the employees who were laid off. But they have a backlog of stuff they've got to move through their system. And, and all things being equal, this again could trigger a bit of a recession. So to help all those businesses tr- waiting to get their products shipped on the train, this is going to make it easier. So I think this is much more about the business community and its uh, use of money rather than you and I and our use of debt. So once we see things start to stabilize with the coronavirus, we're likely to see these rates creep back up. Uh, Will they go up a half point? Will they go up a quarter of a point? 
No, I think you'll go a quarter point because, again, here's the problem. When you're in the middle of the virus, you just never know when you've reached containment. I can look back a year from now and say to you, aha, June 15th, that was the day the virus was contained. But when you're on June 15th, there's always the chance it might move another direction. So because of that, I think uh, Governor Polos and even the Federal Reserve, they'll take more tentative steps to raise it. But for the moment, they need to take a dramatic step in lowering it. Uh, do do you think this will have a negative um, impact uh, long term? For example, what happens if we're still here six months from now? Well, uh, I have two answers to that. First, I, I just can't see us being there six months from now. If you go back to the last time we had a big disease like coronavirus, that was SARS, and it, it had its run, but it passed. You know, if, if we do our job correctly to contain it, if we do our job correctly with the, the testing and what have you, we should be able to get on top of this, and everyone thinks six months will be plenty of time to do that. The bigger question is, would it just be one month, or would it be two months? That we can't answer. It appears that about six weeks is what it took in China to get this all under control. Now, can we do the same thing in Iran? Can we do the same thing in Korea and in Italy? Um, so I think six months, yes, we'll be back to normal, but we just don't know how long it takes. But we will have this thing contained. Uh, barring barring somebody's uh, stupidity out there, we should have this all contained, I think, by the time we're into the early summer. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at Groot School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, uh, PR guru, Alyssa PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. What are your thoughts oh, on how, what are your thoughts on the optics of the teachers unions and how this has all gone uh, down? Because I, uh, I, I give great kudos to Stephen Lecce. I think the unions that have sold this message for 30, 40, 50 years have finally met their match. And I think this was, suppo- this was going to be the outcome all along. It was about putting money into the class, not putting money into the teachers' unions and, and their pockets. And if we have to walk that back, they don't mind doing that. No, they don't. And, and in fact, you know, when you're in a negotiation, you always want to give your sort of last best offer. And, and, and I think that this is always where they wanted to end up. I think so, too. And what's interesting now is, is that every union, doesn't matter which one it is, you know, Electa, doesn't matter which one it is, they've all said it's about the kids. Well, they've sort of painted themselves in the narrative corner now, haven't they? Bingo. I think this was the plan all along, and I think Lecce has known this, and I think he has played this very, very, very strategically. And he doesn't mind the headlines that are coming out now as a result, right? So it says, uh, province concedes, uh, province shows concessions, and, and that's... That's playing to the court of public opinion. Absolutely. It's like it's a government. You know, remember during all the electricity fiasco when people were complaining about to Kathleen Wynne about uh, their bills? She called us all bad actors. These guys are listening. I think this plays right into their narrative. Well, it does. So if it's really all about the children, then the 1% shouldn't matter. And listen, you know and I know that the government does not want to go to 2% because if they do, they have to reopen all those discussions that they had with the last union talks and go from 1% to 2%, which will cost them billions. So there's no way they're moving on the 1%. But what Stephen Lecce has done is that he said, okay, well, I'm going to go back to the same class size, and I'm going to take the e-learning off the table, which I need to tell you, Scott, 
is really a bad thing. I know, because it's silly. When it's... your kid goes to post-secondary, whether it's college or whether it's university, yeah. everything's online. Yeah. You submit online, you take courses online, you do an open book exam online. Yeah. So not to have that experience while you're in high school, so it's not a foreign experience to you when you're in higher education, there's something that you really need. The whole world... Again, to me, that... I, I, I don't understand that. To me, that is further proof this is not about what's best for the kids. This is about keeping the union membership as high as it can so it can they can keep contributing union dues in the financials of a union. Uh, at the end of the day, how can you possibly sta- not stand behind e-learning? That, uh, talk to any kid. Look at, look at any kid and the devices that they have. To me, this makes them sound old and rickety. Well, it also makes them sound fearful of what's really out there to come. I mean, you also talk about, you know, who gets raises. Well, it should be based on seniority. And, you know, the other side is saying, well, it should be based on merit. Shocker. Yeah. Shocker the the way the rest of the world works. I know. I know. I can't believe they've gotten away with this. Well, exactly. And now this is all within the court of public opinion. And the unions cannot be happy. I think OECTA is actually coming back to the drawing, coming back to the table, but I'm not sure about the other ones. So all those other union leaders like, you know, Harvey Bischoff, et cetera, what are they going to say now? Yeah. What are they going to say yeah. when asked by the media? Well, they gave in on class size. They gave in on, uh, the, you know, the technology issue. Why won't you just accept the 1%? Because you said it's all about the children. Yeah, yeah. And what do you say back to that? Listen, I media train people all the time, Scott, and yeah, I could give you a line to say back to that, but really? Yeah. Is the public going to believe you? Are mm-hmm. you going to have any credibility? And let's remember, the unions have been playing the same game, no matter who the premier is. Yeah, yeah. No matter what... And I think the public is finally power. real. I think the public is finally realizing this. And and they may well be, and we'll soon find out. Uh, the fact that this went on so long, I remember talking to people earlier on in this, and they said uh, they would say that well, the the longer this goes, it's advantage teachers. It's only going to get worse for the government. I don't think that's the case here. I think this played right into Lecce's hands. Teachers got played. Unions got played. Yeah, that's exactly what happened here. And uh, now they're going to have to. Did they get played, or did the truth? Did they get played, Alyssa, or did the truth just come out? Well, I think it's a little bit of both, right, Scott? So if it's really all about the kids and they accept the offer, then you know they they can save face. However, if it's not all about the kids and they're still fighting for two percent, well, then everybody knows what's up. So you have to sort of you know take your lumps and think, well, you know, you can't please all the people all of the time, which is fine, you can't do that, but when you've been banging a narrative drum uh, since before the strike and then all during this this issue, then, you know, people are smart. Parents are smart. They've been inconvenienced. Yeah. They've been paying extra for daycare, uh, you know, rotating probably jobs and, you know, their, their times with jobs in order to be home. It's, it's been a real huge inconvenience, and I think that People will eventually see the light if they haven't done so already. Harvey Bischoff, head of the teach, uh, Secondary Teachers Union, was on with Bill Kelly this morning, and they said that this offer was not on the table, that they were totally blindsided by all of this. Uh, yeah. Sam Oosterhoff, MPP for Niagara West, uh, and uh, Lecce's assistant said, no, that's not the case. It's been on there uh, since the uh, towards the end of February, February 23rd, I believe he said. Um, it, it certainly appears as if they were caught flat-footed on this. 
this? How do they come out of this? Because to me, this is a win-win for everyone if it's all about the kids. So how does the union place this moving forward, especially well, considering they, they the court to, of public they have opinion? To stick to, if they want to stick to their narrative, that's exactly what they have to do. So Harvey Bischoff can say that they were blindsided. What else is he going to say, Scott? Like, do you really yeah. believe that he was blindsided? Yeah. Do you really believe that they didn't see this offer before? And here, it, you know, the union had to be lauded in the early days of the of this strike because they were playing the press beautifully. And plus, mm. they had this whole grassroots on-the-ground support. You know, they would show up at, at schools during uh, drop-off and uh, pick-up yeah. so that parents knew what was going on prior to the strike. They, ha- they had a whole on-the-ground initiative here. It, it, they know how to play this game. This is not the first government that uh, they've ever negotiated with. So I don't think that the rules of engagement have changed. And in fact, normally when you enter into negotiations, there are rules of engagement, and both sides have to agree to them. So each one plays to the press. By saying that we were blindsided because Stephen Lecce put this out to the media, it just means that they knew it was there, they knew it was coming, they knew what the offer was, but they didn't get ahead out ahead of the messaging. Yeah. The government did. Can you keep holding up pictures of sad kids and selling that to the Ontario public that it's not a employment contract for the teachers? I mean, are we past that now? Way past that. Way past that. I mean, even to do that is just, I, ha- I have to say, um, is to be seen as a ploy. Some, I've got some email from some that are upset at the government, wanting them to hold, wanting them to hold the teachers and their unions to task even further. Um, surprised at that. Well, that's a little bit of an eye for an eye, and what's to be gained from that? You know, you'll have, like, what, 10 minutes of satisfaction and then have to live with the ramifications. You know, <laughs> how long is this deal for, Scott? Are we, when are we going to be talking about this again in a few years? You yeah. know, deals don't last. Yeah, like two and a half years. Exactly. So, you know, you do have to bargain in good faith, knowing that, you know, in two and a half years, you might be back here again. That so, was, that's my next question. What happens for round two when this happens again, if it's oh, the I government's the same? That, that makes my head hurt. That would give a headache a headache, as my husband yeah. would say. <laughs> a headache to headache. I yes. love it. Uh, all right, let's move on uh, and talk about the Prime Minister and what has happened over the t- last three weeks or, or so in regard to rail blockages. Uh, good news is it looks like uh, the rail employees are, are slowly being called back and such and things are going back to normal. Uh, over the weekend, there was some sort of uh, groundbreaking deal uh, between uh, the... That nobody knows about. That nobody, nobody knows about between hereditary chiefs and the government uh, in regard to land rights and title, but that has nothing to do with the pipeline. So does this mean the pipeline goes through what happens now well well, that's a really really good really good question because quite frankly nobody knows yeah so in this in this private arrangement that somebody has a piece of paper for so you saw three people come out of a meeting and uh you know they all had all smiles and then they all went their merry way so did carolyn bennett say anything no did trudeau say anything did the minister say anything no so there's some arrangement so what is that arrangement that we're now just dealing with the hereditary chiefs is that the arrangement? Mm-hmm. Did they give in on no more blockades? Was that part of the arrangement? Uh, we don't know. So I think this whole lack of transparency, having a photo op just doesn't work anymore. It just doesn't work anymore. You need to put some, you know, some, some stuff. You need, to, you need to have, like, proof of the pudding to show Canadians that you actually did a good job. 
and if you're not going to show that, and you expect that happy, smiling faces are going to do it, I think that we are far along enough within, you know, Trudeau's reign, so to speak, that people sort of see through all this. I think uh, the Prime Minister has to play has uh, been trying to play two sides of the street, and I think that is the issue, uh, one of the issues with the ongoing Indigenous uh, issues with, with Canada, and that is, is that um, this isn't as complicated as it seems. What makes it complicated is when political parties use whatever points they want from these issues to to forward their agenda. The same thing with the environmentalists. When this whole thing started, it was all this support for the wet sweat and people. And then slowly we found and I've had many guests on and and so on and so forth that it said, wait a sec, we're not being represented. The majority of people want this. So it seems as if the environmentalists and I believe the government, too, are cherry picking their little protests and in, in bringing in the wet sweat or whoever who best support their agenda. Agenda. And if they don't, meaning the majority, then they really have nothing to, to, to do with the cause. And I think what's happening here is uh, the prime minister is trying to keep the environmentalists happy and the indigenous community happy, when in this case, the majority of the indigenous community wants the pipeline to get them out of poverty. Government subsidized poverty. I think with the, un- and well said, like, bravo, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that this is, I still think it's an uncomplicated, it's a very complicated issue to unpack. Uh, I think it is within, within the indigenous community. Within the indigenous community yeah. itself and the way that the government has never really, you know, tackled any of this uh, because nobody ever wanted to touch the file. That, that's that. Yeah. But the other thing too here is, you know, Trudeau wants to look good in this. Yeah. He wants to look good because of the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Committee. He wants to look good in front of everybody. You know, it, it's almost like he never wants to disappoint anybody. But, you know, if you're going to lead, you have to make decisions. Yeah. You can't just make decisions one day that make somebody happy and then make decisions another day that make uh, someone else happy. There's all sorts of people, you know, within the First Nations community that have been working with the government for years and years. So what happens to them? Yeah. Do they no longer count? And we're just going to the hereditary councils now? And, 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 and even and, Carolyn yeah. Bennett was saying in regard to, well, now we've settled this. It's up to uh, Coastal Gas Link and the B.C. government to get this, get this pipeline built. And that, to me, is a load of bunk. This is a federal issue, and the prime minister has to own these negotiations. And because he doesn't own it, and because it's always a pass the buck, and it, listen, even with the... Um, Oh my gosh, I was going to make a brilliant point here. When he was around, uh, when he was gallivanting uh, around around the world, trying yep. to glad hand for a temporary, uh, you know, seat, a temporary seat, may we underline, on with the UN Security Council, you know, the blockades were happening. And what did he say? Mark Garneau said, "Well, you know, this is yes, this you know, this is a federal issue, but because they're on provincial lands, the OPP has to deal with it." Yeah. You know, we are tired of this passing the buck. Yeah. And the Canadian people see, and you know, you know, I know we were going to get to this, but the uh, Angus Reid poll, mm-hmm. Canadians are seeing through this. Yeah. You know, when your popularity plummets 10 to 15 points, depending on what part of the country and what they think of you, that's a problem. And let me tell you, that poll, I, I, in comparison to anything going on, uh, going on in this country, that poll is concerning the PMO right now. 
Uh, you know, uh, to, to take the other side here with the Conservatives, are they taking advantage of this opportunity? Because it seems to me they're still playing the old game as well, you know, by threatening, you know, an election and la, 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 la. Uh, one professor I talked to called it a conquest sort of mentality. Uh, I think we've made great ground here when it comes to uh, Indigenous relations, as long as we keep, like I said, the special interest in the politics out. Uh, do they need to revamp how they view this as well as opposed to just pointing at the Prime Minister and said you should have got in there and torn the barricades down earlier. Well, I, th- I think that there are things that the opposition is expected to do and, and getting in there and telling the, you know, the party in power what they should have done and what they did, did wrong is something that we expected them. The Conservative Party has much more deep-seated and deep-rooted issues than just this one issue in front of them right now. It's their entire sort of fundamental party platform. There are certain things that we still don't know where the, uh, the Conservative Party stands. For example, on LGBTQ rights. For example, on pro-choice. So, you know, these are issues that Andrew Scheer would never answer, ever. And I had to believe that he was media trained to do so, Scott. I mean, you know you're going to get this question when you're on the campaign trail everywhere you go. But he always gave some sort of like the da 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 answer. And, you know, how what does it take for you to actually give a straight answer to Canadians? So until conservatives have a platform that isn't mired in the 1950s and that actually moves with the times with with Canadians on who we are right now and where we're going, you know, any any sort of, you know, little pot shots that they take now are really just pot shots. And, I, and I'm not sure how seriously anybody else uh, takes them. Uh, Angus Reid says that uh, his approval rating, Prime Minister's approval rating has dropped 10 points, now sits at 33 uh, percent, right, uh, right around where it was for most of, of 2019. Are you surprised by any of this? No, and, and for all the reasons that we've talked about, lack of transparency, lack of being a good leader, lack of taking a stand, lack of doing what they feel is best for all Canadians versus playing one side off another just so that nobody gets angry. You bring up a very valid point. Is this country more divided now than it was before he took office? I and and does he hold some responsibility there? You, you know, I think the country still is, is, is divided. I think that the Wexit, as they call it, um, movement, you're not hearing much about it, but it's still there. And to ignore the needs of the West and to create your, you know, your own self-serving purposes, people are still divided and people are still angry and nothing has changed in that respect. So when you look at these poll numbers, I'm sure that they're, you know, maybe the PMO is thinking, well, maybe it was heavily skewed to Western Canada, but, you know, who knows? You can slice and dice numbers to make them look any way you want them to look. All right, last question. How does the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister's office turn this around? How do they turn this fall around? By being transparent, by creating concrete messages and not throwaway messages that just happen to sound good in the moment. You know, with this whole COVID-19, Trudeau says he was in Halifax saying, well, we have to work on some sort of compensation for entrepreneurs and business owners around across Canada. Really? Really? He doesn't really say much. He doesn't really say much when he talks, does he? No. Like, I mean, you must pick that up as a PR person. You must sense that. 
well, this is it. They're sort of empty thoughts and empty sentences. And then, well, we'll just deal with it in the next news cycle or we won't deal with it at all. And I think that Canadians are tired of that and they're looking for actual leadership and they're looking for a prime minister that actually stands something for that he believes in. Alyssa Freeman with us, public relations consultant, Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. And thank you, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.